Okay, so thanks for joining us today for the Darkcast Ethics and Podcasting meeting. I'm going to just ask you to introduce yourselves, what your podcast is, and tell us what does ethics and advocacy in true crime podcasting mean to you? So who wants to start? Oh, CJ. Hi, I'm CJ from Beyond the Rainbow, true crimes of the LGBTQ+. Um, ethics and advocacy and podcasting, true crime podcasting, what it means to me is a lot of respect for the victims. Um, and I'm sorry, I have people here, I have dogs here, and I'm kind of losing my train of thought. But um, definitely respect for the victims, mostly. Go ahead, somebody else. Hi, my name is DJ. I'm the host of the Mythical True Crime Podcast. Uh, ethics and advocacy to me is actually the kind of piggyback on what CJ said, and that's respect for the victim. I uh, can't tell you how many messages I got from folks just from some of my episodes telling me, you know, to keep naming the victims. I mean, so, so much, we're always talking about the horrible people that sometimes commit these crimes, but we don't really pay attention to the victim. And sometimes they get, get lost in the shuffle. And I think it's, you know, the podcasting community, the true crime community to, you know, really bring these people back and bring their name into the limelight. That's, that's how I feel at least. Okay, great. Aurora. Uh, hi, I'm Aurora, and I am currently with the Burnt Marshmallows podcast, which is actually not true crime, but uh, spooky stories, and formerly with Murder, Murder News. And for me, ethics in true crime is intent. So asking yourself, like, what is the purpose of reporting on this? What is the purpose of participating in true crime? And if that answer is entertainment, I would say maybe take a step back. Um, this is somebody going through the worst day of their life. They've lost a family member. Things are terrible. I myself have had somebody very close to me who was murdered. And hearing somebody talk about that who is not from the family and who has not like reached out to you feels so creepy and cringy. So like, what is the intent in talking about this? Is it to try to get the case solved? Is it because the person's missing and their family really needs that lifeline? Like, why are you doing this? Why are you talking about this? Hmm, that's interesting. I've got a few questions for you later then. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Jesse? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, I wanted to kind of expand on what DJ was stating in regards to uh, the ethical and um, advocating for lost loved ones on my podcast. So my podcast is specifically for, um, I focus on the marginalized community specifically for the um, murdered and missing Indigenous persons. Uh, I also deal with the people of color, um, pretty much the ones that are not being heard, seen, seen their stories in news or articles because they're not considered click-worthy. So it's, um, I wanted to talk more specifically on what DJ has referenced, that uh, a lot of stories are always talking about the person who had done these heinous crimes towards other people. Um, I'm a person who's completely the opposite. I am the the person who actually talks about the stories of the lost loved ones, the ones who have been inflicted on 
this crime, um, the families, the friends, the the people who are advocating or organizations that are involved in um, bringing more to the forefront, the name of those persons that have been forgotten. Uh, I'm there to honor them and their stories and to show that they are human, that they're not just a, a name that we see in an article or someone something on a social media platform where they just reference this person and they're like well who is that they don't know who that is i like to be that person who says well i want to find out who that person is because they're also extremely important to um, myself as well even though i don't know them i want to get to know them um so i expand more on that on my podcast and i think that's it's worthy it's extremely worthy and it needs to be heard i agree I'm Regina. Hi, I'm Regina King. I am from Disturbing Interest. And it sounds like my connection is real rough right now. Sorry. Um, we do all different kinds of stories from anything from the time the U.S. tried to make hippo meat the next big thing to actual murders. And when it comes down to it, for us, it's all about respect. We want to be very respectful of the people involved in the true crime cases we cover, whether it is from the perspective of bringing back the voice of somebody who may have been forgotten because, well, like Jesse said, they weren't maybe a clickable story. Um, they couldn't be hyped. And they didn't catch in the mainstream, or maybe the murderer themselves was more of the focus instead of the victim. Um, we like when we're focusing on a true crime case to bring back the voice of the victim as much as we can, honor their family, be respectful for what's going on in their lives, and to remind our audience to please do the same. Deviating a little bit from the agenda, just going on what um, Aurora said there regarding one of your friends that was murdered and how, how it feels for you if somebody covers that and they haven't reached out to yourself or family members. Is that always the case or is, does it depend on how it's covered, if it's done sympathetically or do you always feel something wrong with that? I think it can depend. And I think that there's families that are constantly reaching out to the media and saying, hey, nobody is talking about this. Could somebody, anybody please talk about it? And in that case, I think it's absolutely fine. And that comes back to intent. And with the case of my loved one who was killed, her case is solved. Uh, it was a family annihilator situation. Her husband shot her and their seven-year-old child and they, and then shot himself. Um, so they knew who it was. The case was closed. Uh, there's certainly reasons to still talk about her case because I think it's important to remember the victim. And if somebody were to do that without reaching out to myself or her family and they just wanted to remember Jenny for the beautiful, wonderful person she is, totally fine. Like, I love that. That's so beautiful. But if somebody just wanted to cover it to talk about the gruesome case, like details of the case without, you know, like knowing how the family felt about that, I think that's really just icky. Like, it's it's not nice to have to read that. Okay, now that's interesting because I, on my podcast, I do cover cases that are solved and somebody has reached out in the past. I'm not an investigative journalist, so I, you know, I was hoping somebody here today would be and would have a, you know, a comparison, but I'm not. 
so I don't reach out to the family members. Occasionally I have, and I am in touch with some of them, but not everybody, because, you know, unless, like you say, it's out there, you're not going to go and start searching for them. And somebody actually did, a family member said, could I take the episode down? They weren't happy about it, which obviously I did. And that was devastating because I don't want to upset the family. It's not for, like you said, Jesse, clickbait. So does everybody feel kind of the same? Has anybody else been in that situation? Yeah, I'm not going to reach out to everybody. I'm sorry. Um, I wouldn't have a show if I did that. So for me to try to find family members on every case I did, that I wouldn't be a podcaster. Um, I, I prefer when someone reaches out to me and asks me to cover their family or friend's case, but that doesn't happen a whole lot. And I feel very fortunate when it does happen because then I can get additional information as well and um, tell it how they want this, their, their loved one's story told. I think Regina had something to say. Um, we come from an interesting perspective because my partner who is unable to be here today, she um, comes from a family annihilator situation as well. And so, and with her as kids were involved. So she has a really unique perspective from both the victim and the aggressor side of things. And um, within my family, we're pretty sure one of my uncles was a serial killer who got away with it. He definitely was a serial rapist who got away from with it. And so I saw the victim's perspective from a, the other end. And, um, it's it's very interesting. We try not to take on close to the present stories because we want to be very respectful of the victims and give them a lot of time in between the cases because we know how painful it can be when it's close. Yeah, absolutely. Does everybody agree with that? Do they tend to do further back in time rather than current? Regina and Aurora, I, my condolences on your family and friends who have been inflicted with this. Um, their lives were cut short and I do, I am very sorry. Uh, I'm actually a survivor. Um, and I kind of wanted to add on to that because the, the, my father was the sexual assaulter. Um, from the ages of, eight to 12 years old, I was sexually assaulted by my father, my biological father. Um, so, and I went through many court hearings with him in Minnesota and, uh, he was never convicted of any of the crimes. Um, so I myself kind of had the perspective of being, uh, the victim, the survivor and seeing the outcomes of how the system has broken, is broken. Even though they had a DNA, samples they had the rape kit the whole spiel they had the the um had the photographs of where i was living it was considered inhabitable the only place that they actually said that was considered uh livable conditions was my own room um i had padlocks on my door um from the inside because uh he would come at night and uh so it i've seen it all i've i've kind of come from both sides and the reason why I fight even more for people who have lost a loved one is because I would have been there if I didn't have particular people in my life who brought me out of that situation. Um, so 
yeah, kind of, and it just, I just, if I stayed, it's, I always kind of like revisit that whole situation. If I was there for another day, if I was there for another couple more weeks, I would probably be in the same situation. Somebody else will probably talk about my story, or maybe I would have been forgotten. That's the kind of a thing that I, I, I put so much passion to when I talk to families who actually do reach out to me. Um, and I take the time to reach out to them and I let them have the stage in their time. There's so many levels of grieving process for a family. Sometimes they're not ready to talk about the story of their lost loved ones. Maybe they're in complete, you know, there's different levels of denial and anger. And, um, so I, let them contact me. I reach out, a, a, you know, just email or whichever, just to let them know that I'm here for them. I've seen your story. I'm here for you. Please let me know if you need anything. So, um, I completely get it. It's, um, it's, it's earth shattering to see that happen to other people and just to think that I wouldn't be here today if someone wasn't there for me. So yeah, it's, um, an eye opener so i'm really sorry to hear you went through that jesse it's great that you and your podcast can help others in similar situations and so jesse you and aurora mentioned that you like to reach out to family members can anyone else tell us what they do what's a day in the life of dj like what's your process well my process usually starts uh with the kind of content that some of my followers ask, you know, I try to, you know, involve the community as much as possible. What wants to be heard? Do I want to do a Bigfoot story again? Stuff like that. But uh, usually I end up with like an unsolved case, like the Charlie Project. I I work closely with that. Uh, one of the web administrators I chat with and just he can see the data, like who visits, like what sections on that site to to kind of build traction, I guess. So that's why some of my episodes might seem like they're out of nowhere and it's because there's the limited activity and we want to kind of, you know, I want to be there to kind of voice that and boost that number. Uh, that's just one of the things. Otherwise it's something I might be interested in holidays, for example. Uh, yeah. Day in life of me, I turn on audacity and I start recording and then I spend probably about 15 minutes with effects trying to figure out all the get rid of echoes and whatnot so yeah that's about it i i used to work in hollywood so that's great 15 minutes that's it i spend all day editing dj so that's wonderful that you can do it in 15 minutes i i, I don't mean to make you <laughs> make it sound bad it's actually less than that it's pro I probably spend less than an hour each Can we episode. hire you to do our editing? <laughs> Maybe. Can you teach a class? I, I've done this for about 20, 20, 25 years. Wow. It's muscle memory to me to what effects need to go, what fading, what yeah, that kind of stuff. So supporting the theory that you're <laughs> AI yet again. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> beep or beep. No, <laughs> <laughs> we do need a masterclass from you. I would love to learn what you know. Uh, YouTube is a very applicable no. source for 
any and all questions you may have. But, you know, like what uh, software do you, you use? I, it's not all about software, but that's a free one that I use. Audacity. Audacity. Yeah. I used to use Final Cut, but Apple got expensive. So I was like, I'm done. Bye. <laughs> Regina, what about you? What's your process for an episode? You'll have to excuse me. I notice my connections tanking further. Um, so our process is, uh, depending on where the episode itself is going to come from, if it's coming from a request from listeners or me or Lynn just falling down some kind of rabbit hole of weirdness, um, if it is a true crime related podcast, what we're going to do is look at how much time it has been and is anyone still alive? Uh, victims, family members, whoever it might be. And then what we're going to do is look and see how much other material is out there on this particular crime and have the victims or family members said anything about it. Because the first thing we want to do is, you know, really pay attention to their voices. If they say that they don't want this story out there. They don't want to hear anything else about it. If they're really just down on further publicizing anything to do with their story, then we walk away. We we don't want to disrespect their wishes at all. Um, if we can't find anything from the family members and there isn't a lot out about the crime, We'll do what we can to reach out and contact them, usually through email or some kind of um, social media message, just to get permission to move forward with the story. However, if there is absolutely nothing, we cannot find these people, we can't you know, find any quotes from them, and there are very little publicity behind the story itself, we'll probably drop it just because we don't know and we don't want to expose somebody to that kind of pain if we don't have to, because it can be very shocking. I mean, (laughs) not only do we have the stories that I referenced earlier, but I mean, there are a lot of other stories that have to do with crime and murder in my family personally involving me too. And if one of those just popped up, I would be horrified. So I wouldn't want to do that to somebody else. Um, And then from there, we, you know, move on and either pick out a new episode or or choice and move forward with whatever we're going to be doing. Yeah, that was actually similar to my process. Like I kind of did the same thing where I would try to find cases that were unsolved or seemed like they needed help or an extra push. Like I'm always really fascinated by missing person cases, which always need help since they're obviously unsolved. And I would try to look and see if families had spoken to the media and if they seem to be like pushing and really wanting help. Because for one thing, that's going to make it easier to find them. If you do want to contact them, now you have their name since they were in an article. You also get more information about the loved ones that way too, because you know, I think it's really important to like represent the victim and telling their regular story too, telling their life story and not just the day that they were killed. And that's a good way to get that information about who they were as a person, how they were with their families and what they did in their personal lives before you 
tell the story about the worst day that ever happened to them. Unfortunately, if you if you just use um, media as your resource, you don't get a lot of the feel goods side of the victim. And that that's something I really struggle with is trying to find out because I want to know what that person was like, who they were. Um, and I think we all do because we want to be able to identify with them in some capacity. I'm sorry, Don. I think I cut you off. No, no, not at all. What's doing an episode like for you then? What's your process? Me? Yeah. CG. Um, well, I do a lot of internet looking for stories, uh, about the LGBTQ community. I have a lot of bookmarks open on my computer that I, you know, save information on. And then I will look through them and I'll, I'll read some of the articles. And if something actually touches me, so I have to feel a little bit of passion for the story. I start researching it and then I start writing and then I record, edit and Viola. Um, like I said before earlier in this episode, I really like when people bring me cases and I, it's so much easier for me to feel a little more passion and put a lot more of myself into the cases when I can talk to victims family or friends because then the case just it means so much to me it's not that the other cases don't but the ones where i can connect a little bit more personally with people they they just totally mean so much to me and that's pretty much my process when you mentioned family members getting in touch, that's one thing, but do you have sort of listener requests as well? How do you go about deciding the ethics in that if it's not a family member, but they just want the story told? Well, um, I will look at their stories. I have one right now that I'm looking at. Uh, the, the, I don't, I'm not sure if it was the father. I think it was the father that DM'd me the other day and asked if I would cover his bisexual murdered daughter's story she was pregnant at the time that she was murdered so i'm looking into that one right now uh but i've had a friend of someone who's in prison who was convicted of murdering a young woman when she was in high school i had a friend contact me in behalf of this convicted murderer saying that the convicted murderer was innocent. It was really the boyfriend who murdered the girl. And I don't know, there's something just whole case. So I've not taken that one and spent any more time on it. Is uh, Did I answer your question or did I just go off no, the yeah. rabbit hole for you? <laughs> I tend to do that. Sorry. I love you, CJ. I just want to talk. I love you too. <laughs> anybody else? How does anybody else do with listener requests then? Yep. Jesse. Um, yeah, so I have a, a plethora of, of different angles that I, I work with. Um I've had a couple of people who have uh volunteered in providing research information on cases. Um like for example, one of the 
uh, she sadly passed away in August. <clears throat> she was one of my um, researchers for the podcast, Laura Rodriguez. Um, she was the one who was just like on it. I I would ask her for something and she would say, this is a story that hasn't been talked about. Um, usually like the John and Jane Doe situations. I even had instances where I would go through Instagram or Facebook and I would have other podcasters suggesting um, stories, people who are people of color, um, stories that haven't been heard. And so I do, what I do is I kind of research to make sure that A, their story has, if their story has like a plethora of other podcasters talking about it and it's like very recent, um, I kind of put that kind of to the back to see if maybe if there's something else that might come up. Uh, I also create a, like a Google alert, you know, no shout outs to names or anything, but I use Google alerts and I type in the person's name. So if it ever comes up in the news in any way, I can keep track of them. If there's any updated articles or situations. I've also had other family members who reached out to me, um, even at, you know, they were referred to me from some other family member who was a guest, a previous guest on my podcast, podcast saying that they really loved the content and how they brought, uh, their family's lost level one story to the, to the forefront and how they were very, how I was very passionate about making sure that it was done properly and respectfully. Um, I would get, uh, families, families, um, referring me to other families. Um, and when that does happen, there's some instances where some of the family members might not fit the objective or the storyline in regards to my podcast for people of color, marginalized community. Um, I always refer, no matter what, I always refer those stories to other podcasters because I still, even though I'm not the person for them, I still make sure that there is a person out there for them. Um, I don't want them to be swept under the rug. Um, I don't want to dismiss their story because even though they don't fit my objective to my podcast, they fit someone else's. Um, and their life does matter. So, um, that's kind of how I work with what I receive. Um, but yeah, I have a, uh, the other thing is that, um, Let's see, like, for example, I've had instances where um, I have been ghosted, blocked, ridiculed, even from families that don't believe in what I consider as moral. I even had an interview with a woman for weeks, recorded interviews for weeks, for hours upon hours talking with this woman, um, an indigenous uh, indigenous woman, she had a daughter who died of fentanyl, possible fentanyl poisoning, but actually was um, a little bit deeper than that. It was someone who actually did it upon her daughter to make it look like it was an accident. Um, and after hours and hours of speaking with her, um, she just didn't seem like I was the perfect fit once she found out that I was a queer person of color, which didn't fit her narrative, which is understandable. Um, I get it. I respect that. There's other instances where I've actually created a mini podcast of a, like the Amber Alert situation of a Dakota Meeks. And I keep track of that person, you know, maybe to see if they're in the, in the news, if they have been found. And I go back to see if they're at NCMC, NCMEC, 
um, and they disappeared. There's nothing in the news about them being found, not being, you know, they've been reunited with the family. Those are the ones that I, I start to question as to what happened to them. Was their, was their life not important enough to say anything about them? You know, that's, I, I, I have so many blocks in the, in the road when it comes to stuff like that. So I, I think I dragged on too much, but anyway, <laughs> maybe someone else can jump on the, on that side of that conversation in more depth on bouts. There's scenarios that they've encountered. I think Regina had something she wanted yeah, to Regina? say. I was just saying mainly our listeners, when it comes to it, um, they request the big, tri- I, I say big as in the most highly covered true crime stories like uh, serial killers and things like that. So it's few and far between that we have personal cases that are brought to us. Um, so unfortunately, our voice isn't the loudest in the room when it comes to experience um, about those kinds of scenarios. We have had a few people bring cases to us that were more personal and upon looking into them further, doing more research, I couldn't find enough information to feel comfortable with publishing them. So we didn't move forward. Um, because they were not the family members or directly involved as the victims, but more um, secondary victims as friends of friends. Okay. And up jails? Aurora? Because you've changed the podcast, haven't you? I'm curious about that one and your current one. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny when I was on Murder Murder News, I can't say that we got a ton of listener requests for episodes. I'm like, did nobody listen to us? What was happening there? Um, but we would get like reached out to by families who wanted us to cover a case for their loved ones a lot more than we got listener requests. Um, and similar to Jesse, like I have a system for vetting when we did, like we get a lot more TikTok requests for covering cases than we did for a podcast and like honestly like if the story was about somebody that was like a rich white straight cis man like I'm sorry I'm probably never going to do that one (laughs) like that's definitely a case for somebody and that's totally fine and they absolutely deserve to have their story told but it's just not like as interesting for me I do prefer to tell stories that are lesser known like you all were saying to like a serial killer case like Ted Bundy we were never going to cover that unless it was like a specific victim that hadn't had their story told yet or something like that um so that just wasn't our like our wheelhouse and um and the, then I just switched from murder murder news to burnt marshmallows basically just because of burnout like it is really exhausting telling these stories and I know that like not everybody processes doing the write-ups and you know like looking into and investigating these stories the same way but it's it's hard for me like I feel the emotions of it and I get like deeply deeply invested in the cases that I'm telling and it was just really hard. It it just took a burden on me. And um, Angelina, my co-host, was kind of feeling the same way this past January. And we decided to take a little break from it and just haven't had the bandwidth to get back into it. And now with my new podcast, I tell fictional stories and everybody keeps asking me if it 
is taking up all of my time writing a short story each week to tell. And I'm like, oh, God, no, this is so much easier than a true crime case. Like I was spending so much more time investigating and making sure I got those details right. That was way harder than telling spooky stories. <laughs> yeah, a bit different. Yeah, I don't think you're alone and, you know, it's taking its toll. Yeah, I've actually broken down crying um, reading about these stories because it takes, I'm, I'm actually receiving, I know what these, these people are going through. So it's almost like reliving my own story all over again. So, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. So as indie podcasters, reviews are important to us, not to self-congratulate ourselves, but it just, you know, it takes its toll. So getting these wee reviews, what does it mean to you? Getting these positive reviews and the negative ones, what does it do to, to indie podcasters? DG. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just say uh, having both negative and positive, I take cr criticism. Uh, I feel like fairly well. I try not to. Again, I pretend people aren't real on the internet because half of it's a troll farm somewhere in another country. But I try to take the nugget of truth in any critique. You know, I got a date wrong or a name, things like that. I, I usually try to publish uh, corrections on other various social media, but it's very helpful. Reviews are indispensable to me just to know what track I'm on and to kind of keep, you know, keep the heading where where we want the podcast to go. Uh, if, if I'm just going to ignore everything, I, I feel like if you ignore all, everything, positive and negative, you're not going to really end up, uh, you're just doing something for yourself, which is the entire, like my podcast is not about me. Like I've made that pretty clear in a lot of my episodes. It's not about me. It's about the victims. It's about the story being told. Yep. I agree with you. hundred percent. Regina. Okay. So. I never read the reviews because I, I I'm very much a I don't give a fuck kind of person. Like seriously, it does not bother me. However, one review got me once, and after this, I have never read a single review again. And it's very simply, I am from the South. When I am tired very heated with uh emotion my southern accent comes through or when i decide to let it it will come through and i i was reading um in my southern accent a statement somebody from the south had made uh and it wasn't a true crime related episode it was a i believe cryptid related episode and the one comment i got on that was I was so excited to hear a real Southern voice. And that is the most fake Southern accent I have ever heard. And I was like, oh, look at that. I didn't know that was a button that I had for somebody to push. Fuck y'all, trolls. I'm staying out of the comment section from forevermore. And now I let Lynn read our comments and bring forth anything she feels like I should know. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but it is tough, isn't it, to not take it personally? You know, DJ brought up that it's tough not to take things personally, and it's so true. Uh, I love the accolades I get. It makes me feel good. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. But when I get a negative, 
that's a really good way for me to knee jerk and think, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. It's not worth it. I put so much work into this freaking show just to get somebody tell me I'm no better than murder porn. I don't even know what that is, but that was one of my reviews. What is murder porn? I don't know. The two don't seem to mix to me unless they're talking about a snuff film, right? I don't know. Um, my narrative is just horrible. Okay, but what else? What can I do to fix that? What I need, if I'm going to get negative comments, is I need them to be constructive. I don't like your background music. I can work with that, and I can take the background music out. That's a constructive criticism. Um, your mouth clicks. Nobody said this to me, but I'm just thinking. <laughs> I've said it to me. Your mouth clicks too much in some of your sentences. I can do something about that. I can edit better. But murder porn? Okay, what do I do? Your narrative sucks. Okay, what do I do? To change it to make it better so you'll listen. Um, why do you have to cover the LGBTQ community? Do they matter more than anyone else? That was my most recent one. Yes, they matter, but not more than anyone else. They matter equally. They matter as much as anyone else. So why shouldn't I do it being that I belong to the LGBTQ community? Hello? Some of the comments I get, the negative reviews, I just don't understand because there's nothing I can work with. And and I just don't think that some people realize how much heart and soul and tears and blood goes into making these episodes. It's a lot. And it takes me a long time. It takes me away from my family. It takes me away from my animals. And I only do it because I'm passionate about it. And I, I love it. I love to be able to tell someone's story who can't tell it anymore. Anyway, that was yeah. how I feel about reviews, and I do read them. Well, CJ, you brought up a good point with what uh, Jesse said. That was putting a spotlight on a particular group. You know, one of the critiques you said, someone said the LGBTQ community, uh, you're, you're spending too much time on it. Well, I don't think mainstream media is spending too much time on it. And that's why you're doing it. Same with Jesse, indigenous people. And and it's it's in my show's name, DJ. Beyond the Rainbow, True Crimes of the LGBTQ Dude or Lady. Whoever wrote that review, you know what it's about. Yeah, they could literally listen to like any true crime podcast or TV show from the beginning of time if they want to see straight, white, cis people. And whatever narrative they want to direct. Yeah, do your own. If it's so easy, then do your own if you don't like what you're listening to. But it's not as easy as it seems, is it? Exactly. And, you know, you brought up a good point, Don. We are not investigative journalists. If our show says Dateline on it, yeah, we are. But my show doesn't say that. I'm just an average American woman. I was going to say old lady, but <laughs> I don't want to do that. Don't, don't bring I'm me just an this. average American. <laughs> I'm just an average American woman who just wants to do my podcast 
about something I feel deeply about. Let me do it, people. Oh, no. Leave CG alone. She's quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> Quit picking on me and my rainbow stuff. Okay, guys, we're about to wrap it up. We've heard so much from everybody today. So can you give us each a final thought? Just wrap it up for us. What's your final thoughts? <laughs> Look at Aurora's face. I'll go first. I just want everybody to rem I just want everyone to remember it's not a crime to be gay unless you're a murderer. <laughs> and everybody else. Um, I would just say for listeners, like, you know, you do have some responsibility to how true crime is told as well. And while I totally understand wanting to listen to shows like Dateline because they are so well produced and such, just like Try to give some indie podcasters who are advocates and who are doing things to move crimes for marginalized groups and such forward. Like give them some time because they work so freaking hard to make great content. And so much of it is honestly a lot better than Dateline. I agree. It is. Yeah, we don't serve masters. We serve ourselves in the community. So, you know, I, I will take this opportunity to thank the community. You know, because there is a lot of positivity that does come. We're we're talking about a few bad apples here that, uh, you know, kind of want to put a rain on our parade. But uh, for the fact of the matter, we wouldn't be here if we didn't do what we loved, you know, and we love telling these stories and getting those things out there, whatever the kind of content you're into. Uh, the community will magnet, you know, they're magnetic to whatever content they want to listen to. We want to be a voice for that. If you want mainstream dateline, that exists. If you want to hear an indie podcast perspective, somebody who doesn't have biases, doesn't you know have to serve a corporate sponsor or anything like that to be told what to say and what to do, and really is there for the families and the victims, ultimately, to get that story out, then, then you're in the right place. Yeah, Darkcast Network. Exactly, Darkcast Network. Thank you guys so much for being here today. I appreciate you all so much. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for hosting. Yeah, that was all Dawn, actually. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we want to give oh, you crazy you. day. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. It's all you. Happy all Thanksgiving. Right. Indeed. Yes. Happy holidays, everybody. And I hope yes. you guys have a great you rest too. of your day. Take care, everybody. You as well. Yes. So Thanks. nice All meeting DJ yeah. and Jesse finally, too. Well, <laughs> yes, yeah. thank you. You as well. So nice meeting you all. Trust me, you didn't want this this camera turned on right now, but it was oh. good seeing you. <laughs> you are always stunning, Our and that is a lie. I love your lies. <laughs> Keep lying to me, Aurora. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, no, you saying that your can you, you can't turn what? your camera on is you a know lie. what it is? Always stunning. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> I you caught me. You caught you my dark caught secret. No, it's actually because of the move. I am surrounded by like boxes and chaos right now. So that is the truth. <laughs> anyway, y'all have a great day. I'll talk to you later. Good luck with your move. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye, y'all. Nice